0: Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. And Mike, we have another special guest this week.
1: Our guest this week is a former top 20 player on the WTA, a semifinalist at Wimbledon in 1999, and now a very recognizable face for her terrific work with ESPN, She hosts her own tennis podcast, she's working on a book, she coaches kids tennis, Um, she does a little bit of everything, I don't know where she finds the time to talk to us, but Alexandra Stevenson, it's our pleasure to welcome you to Matchpoint Canada, thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me guys and thank you for staying up late.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're worth uh,
0: staying up for and it's it's great to chat with you. We most recently saw you, of course, covering the U.S. Open, so I I just want to start there. Maybe What was the experience like at Flushing Meadows this summer, and was it maybe especially cool seeing a young American in Coco Gauff break through and, and win her maiden Grand Slam title?
2: It was very exciting. Look, from the beginning, we ESPN has been covering qualifying for the last couple of years, which I think is great for tennis in general to bring more people to the sport. And the USTA brings in its free tickets for the whole week. So they had like 70,000 people come in through that whole week for free, which was extraordinary. And from the beginning, we saw Coco's summer, how she mm-hmm. started at Wimbledon with a big fail to Sophia Kennan, who also is a grand slam champion, but she should have won that match if she had played right. And she just really went back to work and we saw her start winning tournaments. And then all of a sudden Brad Gilbert popped into her camp. And from then on, I knew that she was going to have a big summer. I didn't really know she's going to win the tournament meaning the U S open. But I felt like as soon as Brad Gilbert came in, cause Brad had been talking about Coco the last couple of years around me. And I, he knew what she needed to do. And it was very interesting that it was so simple, but nobody had really maybe explained it to her. And I know Para Riba had come in as a new coach and she kind of just had a refresh, refresh, reset button. And Look, the women's game today is about movement and defense and then a little bit of offense. I mean, we saw Sabalenka win Australia and she is one in the world, but that's she's different than the rest of the field. You look at the top hundred, it's a lot of movement and defending and not a lot of power like how when I came up in the 2000s. And so I knew Coco could have a way through if she had a good draw, she could make it through the semi finals and then everybody saw her drawn was like oh Sviantek." but look ego wasn't really on point the whole summer and he didn't,
1: didn't even get to that match
2: no she didn't even get to the match because Ostapenko took her out so it was just kind of exciting that we had from qualifying day one started talking about Coco and the build-up and she actually was able to follow through and then win her first Grand Slam
1: her defense and movement is outstanding. We saw her here in Toronto last year. And we're just blown away by the talent that she has. So you get the right voices in your corner as well. And that was maybe just the missing link there because that summer between DC, mm-hmm. uh, between uh, Cincinnati, and just kept getting one, one up, one up, one up. And then her first yeah. grand slam title. Um, you had a pretty busy and, and successful summer as well. And I want to talk a bit about what you're up to these days before we dive deep into the, the tennis here. Um, I mean, obviously we're very familiar with your tennis career. Uh, Your work with ESPN has been terrific, top-notch, and you were so prominent this year in all the coverage each day. We saw you speaking with Canadian journalist Mark Rowe a few times on TSN, so you got your…
2: Mark and I are buddies. (laughs) Oh, nice. He calls me Canada's favorite commentator. (laughs) Well, see, that's
1: how how I'll introduce you next time. Great. Um, (laughs) But I wasn't aware so much about, um, you know, your podcast, Serving Aces. You mentioned before we hit record about a book you're working on. Why don't you bring our listeners a little bit up to speed about what, what you're up to these days, uh, aside from, you know, the, the things that you're most well known for, I suppose.
2: Oh, uh, thanks. Well, I decided a couple months ago just to try a podcast. And I I started it out with my friend Sam Gore, who's an ESPN host, and he does volleyball. He does all sports: volleyball, basketball, college, sports, tennis, and It was going to be fun with Sam, but then he had to drop out because he's just so busy with ESPN, which is great. And I found my old coach, Oog LeVadier from Quebec City, from Levy, Levy, I have to say it right. And I called him up. I'm like, hey, do you want to be a guest on my podcast? And he's like, sure. And so I really just kind of started it, didn't really know what I was doing and kind of fell into a rhythm with Oogie. And now we're 14 episodes in, and it's been a lot of fun. And I think it helps me with my analyzation just following the year of tennis and then adding in other sports to it and comparing other sports with tennis. And I like that I can bring pop culture, and I can kind of just write my own production notes and think of ideas each week. I did have a bit of a hiatus this summer because I was with ESPN for Wimbledon and US Open and I couldn't do my podcast then, but now I'm back and Ubi and I are trying to build something. Awesome. Oh, that's that's well, really, really
1: cool. Welcome to the world of pod, tennis podcast. Thank you. Well, we I'll always, have to have
2: you guys on. The more oh, the
1: merrier yeah, and, and with your Montreal that. connection, it's only natural that we, you know, also, uh, we'd love to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
2: That'd be fun.
0: Yeah, for sure. I want to ask you, I, I mean, I'm always very interested in sort of that moment when a professional player is deciding to step away from the game mm-hmm. and they're, you know, pondering their life. What is next? How, how mm-hmm. difficult was that sort of transition for you? And and now clearly your days are are so, so busy. And at the same time, maybe, you know, seeing a player like Caroline Wozniacki return this summer, mm-hmm. when did you maybe have that clarity that like, you know, I've, I'm content with what I've done professionally <laughs> in this sport. Yeah. Now I would like to uh, explore other avenues.
2: Well that's a great question because I've never had that clarity and I'm not <laughs> <Okay>. content. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And I'm being honest. Look, yeah. I got hurt with my shoulder and I felt like I was I was about to break in. I was 18 in the world and I was really finding my game and finding I was beating like from one to ten and I'd beaten Capriati three times in a row and she was ranked one and I finally kind of Found the rhythm. It took me four years to figure it out, and I was finding my game, and then I hurt my shoulder. And then I got surgery, and then I fought my way back to like 200. And I just really didn't have the backing of a team and the build, the building that you need. And it's interesting when you're American, it's like it's different than if you're European or maybe even can- Canadian. Um, I know a couple of the girls would argue with me on that, but (laughs) uh, it's just harder because you have to do it yourself and you don't really have the extra help. And once my shoulder uh, got hurt, I lost everybody kind of in my tennis life. They kind of just walked away. They didn't want to help me out. And that was difficult. And then, but I'm a fighter and I didn't want to give up. So it took me a long time to get my shoulder back. It was a lot of losses. And you can look back, like, maybe I should have just waited. But if I hadn't have gone out there and competed and gotten my motion, I wouldn't have had – I would have had a stiff shoulder and it would have never been the same. A lot of players had tried to come back from the surgery I had and couldn't. And uh, then I got to a point where I was, like, going to get set up. I had found a sponsor and I was going to try – and then COVID happened and I was like, I'm 37, I think, or 36, 37, maybe 37 or 38. I kind of stopped counting my age. <laughs> <laughs> That's same year. same year. Yeah, yeah. You guys know. So um, then it kind of just like, it was like, okay, what do I do? And I had, the summer before was, it was difficult because I knew I had to build a team, but I didn't have the finances. And that's something people don't realize is you have to have the finances. So Caroline Wozniacki coming back. It's a different situation. She was one in the world. She has Mm -hmm. unlimited wild cards and she has millions of dollars. So she has the finances to do that. Venus has the finances to keep playing. I did not because when I got hurt, it was at when I was going to get to break in to making more money but the money in the 2000s was not like it is now so it's totally different and that's why I I didn't really have clarity about that I've had a great career because I felt like yeah I had look if I look at what I've done I've done a lot in a short time in my career and I graduated from college while I was on tour and so and now I'm in the second career so it's it's all good it's just really hard as an athlete going back to the what you asked me to walk away and not be able to finish the way I want to. And that's what I struggle with. It's tough. So it's tough like going into broadcasting with ESPN and then watching all these girls play and like you going, Okay, well, if I could train for six months, like I could, you know, I can still serve one twenty five. Uh And I have a different kind of game. I could slice, come into the net. Like you think that. So I can see why Caroline came back because she was in the broadcast booth seeing what the tennis was out there. And it's a different – it's just a different game right now on the women's side than it was when Caroline played and when I played. And there's a lot of opportunity to move up quicker if you have the right backing. So that's the trick. You have to have the right backing, and you have to have the right team, and then it's it's a little easier to move forward, especially if you have unlimited wild cards.
0: I, I'm I'm always fascinated uh, by by the mind of an athlete, and it's really cool to hear that you still clearly have like that competitive fire. Are, yeah, are you that, in that
2: hasn't gone out. Look, <laughs> I can hey, tell. I went surfing last week, and I have to yeah. say, I I hired a surf coach because i hadn't done it in like 15 yeah. years and i was like i'm just gonna go because i'm in i'm like right by the water and it's ridiculous that i never go so mm-hmm. he was very cute i have to say
1: <laughs> <The>
2: extra <laughs> motivation he was, he's like he's like yeah. 18 years younger than me but hey oh well, that's fine madonna <laughs> dates people 18 years younger right <laughs> so but I was so competitive because he's like, mm-hmm. oh, it'll take a while. I'm like, no, I, I used to surf all the time. Like I grew up surfing. And I'm like, I'm going to get it. You watch. In like four, I'm going to get up and I'll be up for the whole hour because I booked an hour. He's like, are you sure you don't want to do 30 minutes? I'm like, no, I'm doing an hour. So I got up. It took me three tries. I nice. ate at the first two. The mm-hmm. third try I got up and then I did the whole hour. I was up every time. And then we did two drop-in waves because I was just doing the whitewater cuz it was like my first time in a while and then he's like oh let's try some drop ins and i was like okay and so he set me up and then i just went but yes an athlete is always competitive even in monopoly
0: wow wow have have you have you always do you think had that uh competitive spirit about you from from a very young age and I also wanted to ask you because Mm -hmm. for those who don't know it's it's a very interesting story actually uh that your father is Dr. J Julius Irving I mean one of the greatest NBA players of all time and you had a very fascinating story actually first meeting, meeting him for the first time, I think back in, in, in 2008, I mm-hmm. wonder, uh, if he passed you on some of research. that comp- oh, a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he passed off some, some of that competitive edge as, as you know, a, an all-star phenomenal athlete as well.
2: Well, I think look how I was raised, I was raised to be an athlete. Um, but I was in the, I was in the pool at six weeks. My mom felt swimming was really good for babies right away and their lungs and the development. And she was a sports writer. So she wanted me to be in an, like something athletic because I would get a full college scholarship. That was how she was going to get me through college. And obviously with who my father is, and then she knew i'd be athletic but it doesn't always mean like just because you have a professional athlete Mm -hmm. one parent doesn't mean you're athletic but my mom was athletic and then i came out and she said oh this is an athlete like i was i guess i was lean and mean when i was a baby (laughs) but at six months i could do you could toss me in the deep end and i could just do somersaults in the pool and then I, growing up, I loved gymnastics, so I'd always be doing cartwheels, and I was just very active. And surprisingly, I didn't talk till I was three, which is funny now because I like to talk. Um, but I was always doing athletic stuff up until then. And then I got introduced to tennis at three, and I liked ice skating, but I was too tall. Uh, I tried that. Uh, I tried soccer. And I kept swimming in tennis. And then at nine, I played my first tournament and I decided to choose tennis at nine. And I think, yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with your genetic background. If you're functional with your body, you can tell like, like when you look at kids, like since I'm coaching kids, you can see who's functional and who isn't. I was not
1: functional. You weren't functional. You you
2: can see it, but you can also – No, not with you. With other kids, you can see. But you can also build an athlete. But to build an elite athlete, you do need a body that can be, you know, athletic. I mean, if you look at a lot of the female tennis players, a lot of them are skilled athletes or skilled tennis players But are they – Could you put them in another sport, maybe 20% you could put in another another sport. Men's side, maybe like 30% you could put in another sport, maybe four – maybe a little more. Uh, But, yeah, I think if I had picked swimming or track and field, I could have done any of those. Well, you clearly –
1: you clearly ended up in the right sport, and I and you, did. And you really hit the ground running too. I mean, I vividly remember that summer of 1999 at Wimbledon, and and you know, full disclosure, you and I are the same age, so you know, it was nice for me to see someone you know of my age at the time who was having yeah. this, this deep run. And you know, I'm just thinking we've seen so many young players, um, even in recent years, have big runs early, mm-hmm. uh, even here in Canada. Bianca Andrescu yep. in 2019, Leila Annie Fernandez more recently. Uh but difficult to sustain it, and I'm just wondering, you know what are the pros and cons to having such a big result early in your career? uh, you're yeah. obviously in a in a great position to be able to speak to that, I would imagine,
2: yeah, well, I think, look, I think there's a lot of pros, but then I think the cons are it's not so much the playing. But this affects the play on the court. So the cons are the media, the environment you have to learn how to be in, and the opponents, and then all the what word would I use for it? It's like it's like all the jealousy you get. So it's interesting because you're it's When you have a run like that, look, and then everybody takes notice and it's fabulous. And then you have to back it up, but you're still young and you haven't learned how to be on tour. So even with Bianca and Layla, they were, it's a bit different from me because I literally came from high school. I'd played a couple challengers, but I was in school full time and then I was doing challengers on my um, breaks, but even for Bianca and Layla, because I played doubles with Bianca in a in Gramby, uh, mm. before her is that right? big run. Yeah, no we, way. We wow. got to the semis. I think we lost to Aaron Rutliff and oh. her partner. She so was our
1: guest. Was, she was our guest last week on the yeah, podcast. Yeah. So she just grand won slam the US champ.
2: Open. Yep, yeah. Grand Slam champion. So, I think the hard part is okay. Then how do you handle the attention with the media? And going into a press conference and then just getting bombarded with questions if you lose, how do you handle that? And, look, we, we've seen it with Naomi Osaka, too, and she's won more than one Grand Slam. And then how do you handle the jealousy of the other players and the coaches and just anybody around you? How do you handle that energy? And then how do you set up your season so that you don't get distracted – from all the outside stuff, and then you have to add in social media for, for the ones now. I didn't have that luckily, but I did have newspapers, and you just don't read them. And then how do you handle all that and take it on court and be competitive against players that want to crush you like every time right. and find your game? So I think that's what people don't have empathy for because if you haven't gone through it, it's hard to understand it.
1: Yeah, and I think good point that today with all the social media, like oh my goodness, it another magnifies layer it.
2: I mean, look what Coco Goff said in her speech. I almost fell off my chair.
1: I couldn't believe it either. Yeah. I was
2: like, wait, everybody loves you.
1: Yeah, who's hating on Coco Gauff, <laughs> yeah, honestly? Yeah, like
2: who's hating on you? But see, I don't, I stay off social media, so I don't I don't know. But obviously, she was getting people that were hating her, yeah, and yeah. she felt it. So, and that- it, in the ESPN realm, everybody loves her. So I was going whoa, this is like totally off book.
1: Yeah, my jaw dropped too when I heard her say that. So you just never know what players are dealing with. You don't you know. know. Um, you persevered though. You stuck with it. And as you mentioned earlier, like even into your late 30s, you were still going. And Ben and I remember yeah. seeing you here in Toronto at the Tevlin Challenger, you know, just I feel like a few years ago. And yeah. I heard someone speaking about you and I'm like, no, she's not here. Come on, really? And then I saw you and I'm like, <laughs> oh my goodness, amazing. Um, yeah,
2: look, I didn't want to walk away and give up because I, I don't give up in anything I do. That's, like, a big thing for me. It's really hard to just give up. Like, even if I'm practicing serves with one of my kids and I miss one, like, I have to make, like, I don't really miss a lot with them. But I just don't give up. It's, I, it's, it's a good quality, but it's also it's, – it's a hard quality, and I know athletes will understand this, especially professional, when, like – you don't have another option and you have to walk away. It's just like heart wrenching, but it's a good quality to have that you don't give up because it helps you in life.
1: Well said. Yeah, that's,
0: yeah, yeah, that's very well said. Um, just speaking of the women's game today, and, and we talked about it a little, are beyond Coco Goff, I mean, we touched on her. Are there any other players, maybe you particularly really like to watch play and, and, you know, certain ones that are really standing out to you?
2: Yeah. Well, I'd like, I like watching Mohova because Mm -hmm. I feel like she has an all-court game. She has very good technique, but there's just something – there's a spark that's missing, and I don't know what it is. I don't know. It's maybe the intensity. It's just just not there, and I feel like if she turns that on, she could be winning Grand Slams because I really like her game a lot, and I don't know what it is mentally – it's just you know she just doesn't have that like grit you know yeah where you just Mm want to crush it and i didn't i learned how to get that better i was i was a little too nice in the beginning and i wish i was a little more tough but then i had to go through a lot to get tougher (laughs) but i understand that it's hard if you're a nice person it's hard to have the grit and to turn it on and want to crush somebody so I'd like to see her do that. Um, I like watching – I actually like watching Peyton Stearns uh, at the U.S. Open. I did one of her matches. I liked her game for an American player. She's not big, and I don't think she's going to win Grand Slams, but she is mentally tough, and she's been through college. So – College makes you tough. Those college matches. I mean, there's some rough matches out there. So I did like her, and I liked her grit, and I think she could be a fun person to watch. And then let me think who else. I mean, I always liked watching Ash Barty, so maybe she'll come back.
1: Nothing would surprise me.
2: Yeah, look, she had a baby, so think she had a baby, right? And she just mm-hmm. she yeah, popped and- out a baby. They're all popping out babies and coming back. And doing well
1: too, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: So I, I would like her to come back. I think women's tennis needs more excitement. And the fact that Coco Gauff won the US Open is going to help women's tennis, but they need more players to make a rivalry. And my generation had that with Venus Serena and then Kleister's Hennin. And then you threw, you had Lindsay Davenport. She's a little older than us, but we had that excitement. We had Anna Kornikova. I mean, you just go down the list. Conchita Martinez, Amanda Kutzer, Mary Pierce, like that from the age age range of like five years older than me to like three years younger and maybe seven years older Capriati at Monica Seles. And you just had all these fantastic names that brought excitement to the game. And I feel like there's a shift in women's tennis where we need some of that. And I don't know if we're going to get it, but I hope, hope we will. Now on the men's side, we're getting it. We have more characters and we have more excitement. And then now we have all the young Americans and then you've got, and you have, Let's hope Felix auger like pulls his game together again
1: because <laughs> so, he's fun to watch. Right. I
2: really like his game, actually. I like watching him a lot. I'm a big fan of him. I like Ben Shelton. Rod well, Laver those... loves Ben Shelton, too.
1: <laughs> okay, insert, exactly. Ben, insert Laver Cup question here. Right. Well,
0: I mean, I I should follow up. It it was a good showcase, I think, for uh, Canadian fans to have the Labor Cup this year in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I saw kind of a lot of complaints going into this event because, okay, Novak's not there. You know, Nadal's hurt. Federer's retired. He's there. He's not playing. Do, Do you think maybe there has to be kind of that wave of acceptance of like we're ushering in this new generation these Mm -hmm. are going to be the faces and we have to kind of embrace their games because I honestly thought a lot of the tennis was pretty great
2: yeah I did too and yeah I think I think Wimbledon and US Open this year showed that there's More to now Roger and Rafa and Andy Murray. I mean, Andy Murray's still playing, and he's still exciting to watch. But there's more to men's tennis to watch than those three. And there's now a handful of guys that are exciting, maybe even more than a handful. Maybe there's six guys that could win Grand Slams right now, even though Novak is just dominating. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But if on any given day, look, Medvedev, you have him, you've got Al- Alcaraz. obviously, you've got Novak, you have, I could even throw in, um, who did I like? Oh, well, Rublev, even though he hasn't gone past the quarters. I mean, the guy's gone to how many quarterfinals? Not
1: nine of them, now.
2: Yeah, that's impressive. So you've got, I could go down. I mean, Ben Shelton, he's not ready to win a Grand Slam, but who knows? Maybe the draw opens up and he could do it. So, Francis Tiafo, so I feel like this u s Open was important for the tennis world again to see on the men's side that there are a lot of new characters and they're more they're exciting and they have personality and I feel like Alcarez is leading the charge, obviously, and he has really invigorated the men's game after people like being upset that Roger and Rafa are not playing
1: yeah, absolutely um. We're, we're heading in overtime almost here in our chat because yep. you know, Zoom says it's going to, uh, you know, implode in four minutes. But I'll, <laughs> I'll give you one to end on here. And that's okay. speaking about the Labor Cup that was here in Canada for the first time. What do you take of this event? Is it an exhibition? Is it really competitive? I mean, the 13 to 2 overall scoreline for Team World didn't really lend itself to a big finish. It kind of ended with a whimper with just the one doubles match on Sunday. Like, I would have been ticked if I had bought tickets for the final day. Unfortunately, yeah, and you got that match, right? So yeah, I, what, I what's don't know. Overall? There's
2: there's so many cups going on <laughs> now. I feel like it's kind of it's still an exhibition. Look, it's not a tournament. They're getting paid though, but they want to win because it is a team event, and they made it competitive. But really, is it a hundred percent competitive? I don't know. I haven't played it because they don't have, <laughs> have women. They should have women. I d- I don't know. I feel like Europe needs to step it up, obviously. But before that, the world was couldn't even win sure. any. So yeah. maybe it's just flip flopping, and they have to find their way and the balance, and it'll get there. I mean, you've got Roger Feder and his agent Tony Godzik running it, so we know it's going to be successful. It just is it going to be successful? in America and it's going to be tough if they keep holding it now during football season, but in yeah, Europe, I think it's more popular. It's tough competition on North American side. I feel cause it's like college and NFL all at once. But yeah, I think all those cups are still kind of exhibitiony, but they're competitive cause you have something on the line at the end of the day.
1: I personally think they should have had Feder come off the bench to help Team Europe have a little spark there. I mean, it couldn't right? yeah, have hurt. Yeah, like put right? him
2: in doubles, right? Couldn't have hurt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that would have been fun.
1: Well, look, Alexandra, thank you so much for your first appearance, and uh, I'd like to say first of hopefully many moving forward. We really enjoyed <laughs> having you on, and thank and, and you guys. Ben will say a few words too. But but thanks for joining us today.
0: Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. It was, it was great to hear the, the insights of an athlete as well. I, I feel like anytime you're maybe broadcasting a match, it sounds like you want to get down there and, and hit the ball <laughs> yourself. So that's really cool to hear.
2: Thanks. Well, I got great advice from um, a fabulous uh, guy who's now on NFL football, Tom, and he told me you act like you're playing the match for the viewer. And you like, you get immersed and you pay attention to the match and then you present what you feel like is going on. I love that. Tom Rinaldi told me that.
0: There you go. Perfect. Tom Rinaldi. Thank you so much uh, for joining us and uh, we'll chat to you another time.
2: Thanks guys.
0: There you have it. Alexandra Stevenson. Uh, That was a really fun conversation.
1: That, that was, and and I don't know what, to, you never really know what to expect when you're talking to a guest for the first time, but uh, just deep answers, really elaborating. Uh, she wasn't kidding when she said she liked to talk, and uh, she had a lot, a lot of interesting things to say. Um, you know, the one point that um, I, I didn't jump in and, and interject, but it's just interesting to see people's take on sort of the ATP versus WTA. And when they make those comparisons, like for me, I always think "Oh, the women's tennis is fantastic. It's actually like my preference to, to cover a women's event. And, and her take was different that she felt like the men's game has more personalities. And I think it's just, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that, but it's interesting to see how people can have different views depending on, I guess, what excites them and and what they connect with.
0: Yeah. And obviously um, I, I think reflecting on, those big time rivalries that we did have kind of late 90s early 2000s there is an element that you know she's probably drawing from and those were incredibly exciting I, I think there's a lot of potential right now with the women's game to get those rivalries going, especially now. Coco has beaten Eagle once, you know, if those two keep clashing in the later stages of tournaments, that's an exciting one. Arena Sabalenka, Rybakina, these types of players like meeting in the later latter stages of events, uh, you start really building up the excitement, um, which is exactly what we need. Uh, we'll carry on me. I mean, we touched on the labor cup with her in Vancouver team world, getting their second straight victory, uh defeating team europe and this was really domination start to finish every day and as you said like day three kind of a stinker honestly because you got the one doubles match but uh 13 to 2 win i i guess which player maybe stood out to you the most from team world um in in the weekend uh of who just kind of played great tennis
1: yeah, so to look at some of the positives because honestly ending with one match and no disrespect to doubles but you know it being the doubles match too and didn't even have our Canadian in there which I would have thought for you know the Vancouver fans they would have thrown Felix in there. Um so it it was kind of a disappointing, you know, for me event. I don't know where it goes from here. I mean, it's going to continue. I'm sure they put a lot of money into it at this point, but uh it's going to need something to to spice it up a bit from this year's edition, uh, I think. But uh, a player that really impressed me Um, would have been Shelton for sure Um, you know the confidence that you can see growing before your eyes the experience that he got out of playing in this type of you know more exclusive event um, I think very important to his career development Uh, having people like the McEnroes there Rod Lavers around Roger Federer's there I mean this is a big even though it it feels a lot like an exhibition tournament like Alexandra said and even though this year's installment wasn't uber competitive still there's a lot of like, you know, star power around the event. So I think for him being there and playing such a decisive, you know, I mean, he won the opening singles match to set the tone on day one. Mm -hmm. He won both of his doubles matches with Felix on Saturday and Francis TFO on Sunday. Uh, So I think for him, really nothing but, but positive to speak of for the young American.
0: Yeah. Well said. Uh, He was certainly one of my picks. Uh, I'll give credit actually to Francisco Sarindolo because again, like a player like him who, Don't get me wrong, he's a solid kind of top 30, top 25 guy, but this is still a new arena and new environment for him to be amongst you know, legends of the game, greats of the game and and superstar players, and get a great showing beating Davidovich vakina in his first match in singles, uh, is definitely impressive. And I, I thought Francis Tiafo, of course, brought great energy uh the whole weekend, which he always does. I know he won a singles match, gets it done in doubles as well a couple times, beats Hubert Hercatch and they've had a kind of a back and forth rivalry. I think that head to head is three is three now. He was serving great. Uh, he's always seemed to play well in these team events. He's such an entertainer. And you know what? This was a good weekend for Felix Ojaeliasim. And we've we've been looking and searching for positives for this trying 2023 year. If we circle back to last year, uh, I mean, in a way, this event kind of kickstarted that fall run and he had a singles win over Novak Djokovic. So maybe he's looking to the way he played in doubles with Ben Shelton and getting a confident win over Guy Monfils in singles to say like, hey, I can still play at a high level.
1: A confident and somewhat perhaps controversial win in the sense yeah. that there was a little bit of friction between them. And when I saw Twitter kind of explode with it, you know, because I wasn't watching the match live, I went to check in and I'm like, whoa, this is a little bit rare from Felix to see this level of spiciness. But honestly, I got to tell you, like, I liked it. And that's nothing against Mofis. He's one of my favorites. And and I don't think that it's exclusive that you have to be either competitive or entertaining. I think you can do both at the same time as he's yep. proven over his career. But I like what I saw from Felix because it's a little bit of that fire that we've been talking about that's maybe missing, that he's such a nice guy that we got to see a little bit of of that from him more often. And he was getting pissed. And it shows to me that, you know, there is frustration in the way that his season's going. And he's absolutely going to be locked in and and, and dialed in. Um, sorry, as things fall apart in my uh, make, makeshift set here in the kitchen. Um, <laughs> that he's dialed in and that it means something to him. And and that he was going to give 110% to try and get that victory. And, and he can't afford to play it loose, you know. He's got to go uh, full tilt right now to salvage his season.
0: No, exactly. And, uh, you know, another few Canadians playing well this week, just quickly on the men's side. Uh, Challenger ATP event in Columbus, Alexi Gallerno continuing his strong play post-Davis Cup, making a final here, losing in the finals to Dennis Kudla, but that's a great week for him, and he'll get a nice boost in the rankings from that. And then if we shift over to the women's side as we wrap, Guadalajara, before we get to the champion, I thought it was a really positive week for Leila Annie Fernandez. First quarter final of a WTA 1000, uh in 2023 she had a couple great wins before losing to Sophia Kennan who's honestly playing some great tennis right
1: now yeah very encouraging results from Layla Annie and um more encouraging results than my tennis bracket with Tennis Canada the, the challenge I got destroyed <laughs> yeah. I mean I just, the, way, the way Zachary's been played I, I put her going out in the first round I think in my bracket so there you go but uh for Fernandez encouraging not surprising to me because we have seen incrementally some steps throughout the summer. Uh, you know, what she did to Haddad Maya in Montreal, that felt like a big win for her. And and she's always played well in Mexico, as we've talked about, you know, extensively on the podcast, that they, they love her there. And she plays terrific there and feels so much support. So, you know, nice to see her having some strong results late in the season here and, and the ranking boost. And I don't know where maybe you do, where, where her ranking is going to go from being in the 70s to this is definitely going to give her a push forward. And and that's what she needs, and I think she's got to get back up into that top forty, and and hopefully to a spot where she can be seated, um, so she can avoid some of these horrific draws she's experienced this year.
0: Yeah, uh, she'll she'll move fourteen spots up, so she is now sixtieth in the world. So that's definitely a, a step in the the right direction for Maria Sachary, She's moving up three spots to world number six. Not her career high. She's been as high as number three. Astonishing that this is only the second title of her career, and I know. it I know. it's it's. You know, she's a player who's so often making deep runs in tournaments. This year has been tough, but. This is the best title of her career, beating a surprise finalist, Carolyn Dolahide, in straight sets. And you could see the emotion when she won a match point collapsing to the ground in tears. Uh, I was honestly just so happy for her because she's such a hard worker. She's so competitive and driven. And she's been, as I said, in latter stages of big events before, and it hasn't happened. So you know how badly she's wanted this.
1: Yeah. And we saw different kind of tears just a few weeks ago at the US Open from her, where she went out first round and yep. and was just so distraught and was thinking about taking time away from the game and and now obviously what a you know what an inspirational story about her sticking with it and deciding to to persevere and and keep going and, and having it click so uh, i felt the same way you can't help but but feel happy for her we've had her on the podcast before um super nice to talk to very genuine person and and such a hard worker so you know a result like that too you know you think of Felix Ogiadiali a team on the men's side like it's all it takes right could be one tournament to completely mm-hmm. shift your season and your mindset. And uh so it's great to see that for Zachary.
0: Yeah, I'll, I'll just mention quickly, she actually said what Coco Goff said at the U.S. Open inspired her. Uh What Goff said about how other people have much bigger problems than when we lose a tennis match. She said maria thought that was such a a beautiful way of sort of viewing things and that it gave her strength um because I, i do feel like she's been a player where she is so hard on herself like she wants it so badly that it can have that adverse effect you know in crunch time uh so to just probably take that extra breath uh in those moments um produces a week like that so i thought that was really cool
1: yeah, well said. And uh, maybe one note to wrap on was uh, continued success for the Canadian doubles partnership of Gabby Dabrowski and Aaron Routliff, our guest from last week, the U.S. Open women's doubles winners, who uh, didn't hoist the, uh, the winner's trophy this time, but came awfully close, making it to the finals at this big event. And I mean, this is going to do just even more for them to push towards hopefully what might be an appearance at the final eight at the uh, WTA championships uh, later this season
0: no kidding uh what a what a spectacular run if you haven't listened already check out our previous episode with us open grand slam champion aaron Routliff. we thank you uh say thank you again to alexandra stevenson our guest this week guys you've been listening to matchpoint canada we will talk to you next time